On February 23, 1977, at Sardi's Restaurant in New York City, a press conference was held by the father-son producing team of Alexander and Ilya Salkind announcing that Superman had been found. After a long search and much discussion, an unknown actor named Christopher Reeve was presented to the public as the new Man of Steel in a movie that would be released Christmas of 1978. The timing of Superman the movie couldn't have been better. Not only were sci-fi and fantasy in with audiences in the late 1970s, but there was also a nostalgia for the 1950s going on at the same time. You had Happy Days and Shanana on television, and Grease was a hit on Broadway and in movie theaters. Superman the movie was able to tap into both of those things. The 1950s TV series Adventures of Superman was a much-beloved show when it first ran in syndication from 1952 to 1958. By the late 1970s, the target audience of The Adventures of Superman would now be old enough to bring their kids to see The Man of Steel. The Sawkinds even brought in Noel Neal, Lois Lane from the TV series, for a cameo appearance, and never mind the serendipity that actor Christopher Reeve had a name that was oddly similar to that of his 1950s counterpart, George Reeves. With everything lined up so perfectly, it's no surprise that Superman the movie was a hit when it opened in late 1978 and played throughout 1979. And if there's one thing the industry believes, it's that duplicating a success is always a good idea. The thought that tapping into the youth of the late 70s and the nostalgia of the 50s by bringing an old hero on the silver screen seemed like a perfect formula. Superman the movie had earned the goodwill and warm feelings from its audience. But when that was tried again, this time with The Lone Ranger... What resulted was a public fight with a TV icon and a fan base actively rooting for the movie to fail. My name is Dan Delgado, and in this episode, we're looking at what went so horribly wrong in an episode that we're calling, He Really Was That Masked Man. Welcome to the industry. The piece of music you're hearing is from the opera William Tell, written in 1829 by Gioacchino Rossini. In Italian, it's known as Guillaume Tell, and goes over the story of the legendary archer who was forced to shoot an apple off of his son's head for some reason. No, I don't know why, I've never seen it. What you're listening to, in particular, is the overture. Well, it's likely you're not familiar with it, if you wait a second, there is a section of this overture that you should recognize. Okay, there it is. The William Tell Overture, also known to almost everyone in America as the theme to the Lone Ranger, the masked hero from the Old West who fought for what was right and all that was good. The Lone Ranger started out as a radio show in 1933, then graduated to movie theaters in the form of a Republic Pictures serial in 1938. There was a follow-up serial a year later. But when it comes to the Lone Ranger, the one that people remember best is hands down from the TV series. The Lone Ranger first appeared on television in 1949, and for the brand new ABC network, which had launched one year earlier, it was their very first hit show. When the Nielsen ratings appeared for the very first time in March of 1950, The Lone Ranger was ABC's highest rated show at number seven. 
The show ran until 1957, an impressive 221 episodes, and two feature films. One in 1956, simply called The Lone Ranger, and one in 1958, a year after the show went off the air, with the Indiana Jones-esque title of The Lone Ranger and the Lost City of Gold. For those of you not familiar... The Lone Ranger was a masked vigilante in the Old West who traveled from town to town, shooting bad guys with silver bullets but never killing them, while riding a horse named Silver and getting help from his faithful companion, a Native American named Tonto. On the series, episodes would typically end with the Lone Ranger and Tonto riding out of town while a conversation like this happened. After all the work those two have done, I should think they'd need a rest. Rest? Man's got no time to rest when he's kept as busy as the masked man. Dusty, who is the masked man? Why, he's the Lone Ranger. Yeah, I know, it sounds corny, but people, and especially kids, absolutely love the Lone Ranger. They looked up to him for his fearlessness and heroism. And for the man who played the Lone Ranger, actor Clayton Moore, he identified with him as well. Ask longtime fans of the show, and they'll tell you that Clayton Moore didn't play the Lone Ranger as much as he became him. I think the thing that, that's really critical to, to probably understand and put in perspective is when the role was brought to him in 1949, he had just experienced a, a series of losses in his life. His father had died. His brother had died. He was indeed married to my mother at that point. He had been for five years. But... The woman he was involved with before that, you know, Lupe Velez, had also died. So within a short period of time, he'd experienced a lot of losses. And he was in his early 30s. And to be handed a script where he, the, the main character is essentially committing to spending the balance of his life avenging his dead brother's, you know, his brother's death, I think really spoke to him in the moment. Now, let me be clear. I don't think my father would have ever put that together that way. But the reason I say this is because I think then and there, he committed to that character for the rest of his life. That is Dawn Moore. She's a marketer, a designer, and the daughter of Clayton Moore, the Lone Ranger himself. Her father, an actor who worked steadily from the late 1930s until that 1958 Lone Ranger movie, suddenly found himself out of work. A look at his filmography shows that after The Lone Ranger ended, jobs just stopped coming. But Clayton Moore loved the role and would travel the country making public appearances throughout the 60s and 70s. It would become his main source of income. He even did a couple of commercials as The Lone Ranger. Now, The Lone Ranger. Shaving makes my face feel like it's been in a knockdown fight with an outlaw. That's why I'm glad there's a skin conditioner in Aquavelva. Right, Tano? That's right, Kimisabe. Aqua Velva does more than just smell nice. It makes face feel like quietly, cool and smooth. Well said, Taro. Aqua Velva. It does a lot more than just smell nice. Okay, I apologize for that terrible audio, but I just couldn't resist throwing that in. That's Jay Silverheels as Tonto in that commercial, by the way. Silverheels was Morris' co-star on the series and friend in real life. And while Moore had no actual rights to the character, he did have the permission of the person who did hold those rights, Jack Rather. Rather was a wealthy oil magnate who also produced movies, owned the Disneyland Hotel in Anaheim, and in 1954, his company bought the rights to The Lone Ranger, which was still on the air. He produced two other TV shows as well, 
Lassie and Sergeant Preston of the Yukon. By 1979, Clayton Moore is 65 years old and is still traveling the country making appearances as the Lone Ranger. But that's about to change. With the success of Superman the movie and 50s nostalgia in vogue, Jack Rather felt the time was right for a Lone Ranger movie. It made perfect sense, really. The era of New Hollywood was ending, and the time of the blockbuster had arrived. The Lone Ranger was just waiting to be revived. Now, what didn't make sense to most people was Rather's next move. He filed an injunction against Clayton Moore from appearing as the Lone Ranger. He's 65 years old. Now, I don't know how old you are. I'm almost there. I'm not out there yet, but there's not a lot of work for 65-year-old actors or anybody, male or female. So now, all of a sudden, what he has based his career on, not only emotionally, but financially, has been taken out from under him. And up until that point, um, you know, rather encouraged him to continue to go on the road. And why do you think? Because it increased the value of his assets. Rather's thought process was basically, you can't have a new Lone Ranger movie while the old Lone Ranger is still running around in public wearing that mask. We don't want people thinking the Lone Ranger is in his mid-60s. While Clayton Moore never showed any public displays of anger or frustration over this, he was taken by surprise by this turn of events. My father was pretty stoic, even in, you know, in real life. He was very even-keeled. I mean, he had a great sense of humor. He loved to laugh. But there wasn't major up and down personality swing. So with bad news, he was always calm. And with good news, he was equally calm. So it was always kind of hard to, to read what was going on with him. He was shocked, for one thing. On one level, he had invested his, his personality. I'm not even going to say his life or his career. I'm going to say he's invested his personality into furthering an asset that didn't belong to him. Unlike Gene Autry or Roy Rogers, who were playing Gene Autry and Roy Rogers and could merchandise the hell out of all that, Dad not only couldn't do that, he was, you know, he wasn't playing it with Clayton Moore. He was playing a character that he did not own. So there's a little bit of feeling of hurt. Not that I've been doing this for you, but that I've been doing this almost for an us, right? A bigger, it, it, it's almost like doing something for your country, which honestly, I think he probably felt a little bit like that. It wasn't he was trying to further quite more by taking on this persona. He was wanting to continue to perform and embody this persona because he saw the good it was doing and it made him feel good and it was, his, and it was also his career and his income. So it's a combination of a lot of emotional and financial things kind of all happening at the same time. Now you have to figure, if you've been playing the Lone Ranger essentially for decades and you're so into the character that you believe his ideals, when trouble comes around, you're probably not going to take it lying down. It was a difficult time for him, but I will tell you that this was his moment, which was, oh yeah, I'm going to sue you. Let's go to court. I'm going to take this in the court of public opinion. And, you know, who else would do that? Honestly, they would just lick their wounds and go get a different job. You could see this coming, right? Of course the Lone Ranger is going to put up a fight. When things finally came to a head in court in 1979, Clayton Moore would end up losing the battle, but winning the war. He got a lawyer, and he did two things. 
first was to sue to continue to earn an income because the, the premise was that you're stopping me from earning a living. And secondly was when he lost that suit, which he did, he lost that suit uh, in 1979, he just simply changed his outfit and that's when he started wearing the Corning sunglasses and went out in a different outfit without the mask and continued to make more money than he had ever made in his entire career. That's right. When prohibited by the course to continue wearing the Lone Ranger mask in public, Clayton Moore simply bought a pair of dark sunglasses and would go around making appearances. Except now, he was more popular than he'd been in 20 years. Suddenly, the country was on his side. His public fight with the Rather Corporation made it look like the big corporate giant was picking on the little guy. People to sign petitions would have to stand in malls and parking lots with a fold-up table and, and paper and pen. Stand there and say, hey, would you sign this petition, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, people were doing that all across the country for my father. And they sent in petitions, literally, from all 50 states to the Rather Corporation, saying they were going to boycott the film. And in fact, they did boycott the film. Before a single frame of footage was shot for the new Lone Ranger movie, people were already pledging to boycott it over the treatment of Clayton Moore. In 1980, the TV series Real People did a nine-minute segment on Clayton Moore. The piece featured host John Barber calling out the Rather Corporation, showing footage of Moore appearing at a news conference. I am astonished that this would happen, but I am a fighter. I believe in that which is right, and it's right, and the truth is I have been the Lone Ranger for the past 30 years, and I will not give up the fight, and I love my public, and I'll fight for you. Clayton Moore is still fighting for his public. The courts took away his mask, but they'll never take away his spirit, his courage, or his fame. A goofy-sounding protest song. It's plain to see our laws keep getting stranger every day. Courts won't rest until they've taken all our rights away. Ain't nothing sacred anymore, and everyone's in danger. And fans reacting. I want my child growing up without the Lone Ranger. He uh, portrayed qualities that I want my child to learn. He taught us loyalty and he taught us friendship and kindness. He's more than a legend to us. He's in our hearts. I don't know, we just love him. When he got on Real People, it was 1980, so it was after he lost the lawsuit. It was He was so smart with stuff like this. They brought him on. The crowd has an immediate visceral reaction on their feet, standing ovations, huge cheers. They went on so long, he could never speak. He had to, they had to cut the commercial. And when they came back, he still couldn't speak. They were still cheering. So he never got to say anything until the whole time he was on the show. While all this love and support was going on for Clayton Moore, there was still a movie to be made. And on day one of filming, the Legend of the Lone Ranger cast and crew found out just how much love and support there was. When they wrapped for the day, they found leaflets on their cars that read, Clayton Moore is the real Lone Ranger. Seriously. The production of The Legend of the Lone Ranger was first rate. William A. Fraker was directing, and while Fraker was not known as a director, he was known as one of the best cinematographers in the industry. He had three Oscar nominations under his belt by 1980, and his filmography included Bullet, Rosemary's Baby, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and Heaven Can Wait. 
Legendary composer John Barry did the score. The supporting cast would also be first-rate, full of familiar faces. Christopher Lloyd was cast as the villainous Butch Cavendish. Oscar winner Jason Robards was cast as President Ulysses S. Grant, along with veteran character actors Richard Farnsworth, Will Grant, and yes, even Billy Jack himself showed up, Tom Laughlin, for a cameo. But let's be serious here. Even with a nice $18 million budget, a solid cast and crew, a Lone Ranger movie really needs to have a good presence behind the mask. Keeping with the Superman idea of casting an unknown for the role, producers settled on an unknown 30-year-old actor named Clinton Spilsbury as their Lone Ranger. Spilsbury was probably better known as a model than he was as an actor when he took on the role as the new Lone Ranger. For the role of Tonto, that went to an unknown Native American actor, Michael Horse. You know, it was really funny. I, I didn't really want to be, I didn't even want to be an actor. You know, I was kind of a amateur stuntman and wrangler, and, you know, and I was renting my art studio from an agent, and uh, she said, you want to be Tonto in the Lone Ranger? And I went, no, not really. You know, I'm, I'm a long-time Native activist, you know. I said, no, I'm not interested. She kept asking me. And so she said, well, you know, I said, how much would they pay? And she said, oh, about 50 grand. I went, oh, Kimosabi. So, <laughs> so I went down there, and I, I, I met Mr. Fraker, which I, I really, he's the main reason I took the film. You know, I said, and I told him, I said, look, you know, you send Tonto into town one time, and there's going to be more Indians on your lawn and Custer saw. For Michael Horace, while he had little experience acting, it didn't take him long to figure out that there were problems on the set right from the get-go. You know, I, I, I hadn't really, you know, been an actor, and I wasn't studied or any of that stuff, so... I didn't really know any better. Once I got on the film, I, the, the the kid they got to play the Lone Ranger, I realized there was problems there, you know. And they, you know, a lot of them didn't want to hire me because they knew I was an activist and, you know, and I was a novice. And this kid screwed up before I could do anything wrong, you know. <laughs> nice, good-looking kid, but he just, you know, he had problems, you know. While the Lone Ranger was a polite and deeply moral character, Clinton Spilsbury's behavior on the set seems to have been quite the opposite. He had a lot of social problems. He, you know, he was rude to people. You know, I went to, to art school in Santa Fe, you know, and that's where we were filming. He was rude to people there. And, you know, one night he got in a fight, these two guys, at about two in the morning, and we were staying in the Hilton. And these guys, you know, he gave him a couple of black eyes, you know. So the security guard calls me and wakes me up and goes, Mr. Horse has been in trouble with the Lone Ranger. And I went, look. This faithful companion shit's only in the movies, man, so this guy's on his own. Another problem with The Legend of the Lone Ranger was Spilsbury's performance. It just wasn't what the producers had hoped for. When Spilsbury asked that the film be shot in sequence in order to help him with his performance, they agreed, even though it would change the schedule and end up being much more expensive. The original idea for this movie was to hit a Christmas 1980 release. When production wrapped, producers realized that Spilsbury's performance was still lacking something. It was too late to recast, so they came up with another idea to improve his performance. They would dub him. Actor James Keach was brought in initially to dub a few scenes for Spilsbury, but ended up doing the entire movie. This caused delays that would make them miss that Christmas 1980 release. Instead, they pushed it back to May of 1981. This wasn't necessarily bad, though. May is the start of the summer blockbuster season, and a summer blockbuster is exactly what producers were hoping this film would be. May 22, 1981, The Legend of the Lone Rangers hit theaters with high hopes. Now the truth about him is told. Of his family, destroyed by violence. 
of the Indian who became his brother, of the woman that fate denied him. Please come back. Now, the mask is lifted. Who is that masked man? And the man is revealed in the legend of the Lone Ranger. Rated PG. But the core fan base stayed home and critics hated it. Word had gotten out that Spillsbury was so bad that he had to be dubbed prior to the movie's release and the public was still feeling the love for Clayton Moore. All this added up to a fourth place showing in the box office that opening weekend. Behind Bustin' Loose, a comedy starring Richard Pryor, The Four Seasons, a comedy starring Alan Alda, and Outland, a space-set version of High Noon with Sean Connery. Spillsbury was not set out to do any press, and the movie died a quick death at the box office, pulling in a disappointing $12.6 million. Beautifully photographed film, but it just they, they, they couldn't decide what they wanted to do with the film. They couldn't decide... You know, if they wanted to camp it or if they wanted it serious or, you know, they, they, there was a lot of indecision and there were several writers involved, which is usually the kiss of death. But, you know, I'm glad it wasn't a big success or not. You know, I was wondering if I could ever show my face at a powwow again, you know. But Michael Horse could show his face at a powwow and a number of other places. Horace has gone on to have a successful career as a character and voice actor, perhaps best known for his role on the 1990 series Twin Peaks and the 2017 revival. In 2019, he showed up as a villain on the TBS series Claws, and in 2020 will be seen opposite Harrison Ford in a remake of Call of the Wild. While he's glad the movie wasn't a hit, he did find a real silver lining in doing it. Well, you know, I was really apprehensive about it. That how's the community going to feel about it? What kind of an image is that? You know, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I was a well-known artist long before that. You know, and I'm going on the back of Cheerios boxes, and people came up and said I, I did a good job. The community said I did a good job, and it enabled me. I did a lot of stuff for kids. You know, I, I was a lobbyist for the Indian Child Welfare Bill, and did a lot of stuff for for juvenile diabetes on the reservations. And, you know, it enabled me to do stuff for the community. As for Clinton Spillsbury, it was basically the end of the road, at least as an actor. He wasn't sent out to do press when the movie was released. He's never acted again and doesn't do interviews. I've read that he's a photographer these days, but I really can't say for sure. The one thing that I really wanted to know was what Clinton Spillsbury actually sounds like. You know, I, I just work with a guy, but I can't really remember what he sounded like, but it must have been pretty bad for them to, to loop him. Still, I wanted to hear Spillsbury's voice. As it turns out, he has two other credits on his IMDb page. One is a TV movie from 1978 called Suddenly Love, in which he played male student. This I could not find. However, his appearance on an episode of Lou Grant is something that's available. He's credited as Max Keller in this and has about a minute of screen time. And now I will present to you Clinton Spillsbury as John, a college kid who's running for prom queen. In this scene, John's being interviewed by a reporter and a photographer as to why he would do this. John, why are you doing this? What is this for? L.A. Trib. Smile. I'm David Sanders, the Trib's campus stringer. Why did you decide to enter the contest for the homecoming queen this year? In your own words. As a joke. Wish you'd worn a bathing suit. As a joke? Are you sure? And that uh, sounds frivolous, John. It is frivolous. Yeah, but couldn't it also have something to do with Title IX, with ERA, with equal rights? I suppose so. So couldn't it simply be your humorous way of making a point about sexual stereotyping? 
Why aren't you really doing this to protest reverse discrimination? No. Well, okay. Yeah. Oh, that's well put, John. I can use that. Okay, so there's not much there, really, but you did get to hear the guy speak. The failure of the legend of the Lone Ranger really can't be placed solely at Clinton Spilsbury's feet. If another actor took the part, that's still no guarantee the movie would have been a success. After all, the fan base was alienated over Clayton Moore. They weren't going no matter who played the role. The entire issue could have been easily avoided, of course. Clayton Moore had his own idea for the movie that, not surprisingly, included himself. Michael Horse and Don Moore both told me the exact same story. He told me a story. I said, why didn't they use you? He said, well, my father's idea was... I meet this kid that's on the fence between right and wrong, and I kind of mentor him. And To have him be in the beginning of the film, like maybe a quarter of the film or something, or halfway through the film, I will turn my back to the audience. Taking his mask off, untying the mask, and handing it down to a younger man to carry on. And I went, oh, those idiots didn't buy that. (laughs) After The Legend of the Lone Ranger failed to restart the franchise, Clayton Moore was still going around making appearances in dark sunglasses, rather than a mask. Jack Rather, it seems, was never going to let Moore have the mask back even after the movie was no longer an issue. Jack Rather went to his grave, not allowing my father to wear the mask. Jack Rather died, and Bonita, Bonita Rather, Bunny Rather, his wife, immediately dropped the lawsuit. She is the one who, after Jack died, circled back and said, you know, this is ridiculous, and this needs to get dropped. She's the one who cleaned that up. That's right. Jack Rather died in November of 1984. A couple of weeks later in December, Rather's widow, Benita, or Bunny, dropped the lawsuit, and finally, over five years after all this started, Clayton Moore was allowed to put the mask back on. He would continue to wear the mask and make appearances, and the occasional commercial, like this one from 1988. Amico presents The Lone Ranger. You look worried, Doc. Well, I'm heading up the trail road to the Johnson place. That's a mighty steep climb. You'll need better performance. But why silver? You don't have to know, Doc. Your car knows. For higher octane and better performance than regular Unleavage, try pure Amico Silver. He's gone, but he showed me a better way. Since Clayton Moore passed away in 1999, there have been two attempts to revive the character of the Lone Ranger. A forgotten TV movie with Chad Michael Murray in the lead in 2003, and the mega-budgeted tongue-in-cheek flop with Army Hammer and Johnny Depp in 2013. Neither of these connected with audiences, and it seems like, without Clayton Moore, is there really a Lone Ranger? I wish to God... It could carry on, but at this point, since now we've seen that it kind of can't without Dad, part of me is like, oh, well, all right, so it's going to go to its grave with my father. And that's kind of okay, because Dad really um, dad really embodied it and believed in it. And, and to be honest with you, here's, here's the thing that's so great about that, because, of course, could you look at that at one way and go, that's a little nutty? Or could you look at it another way and say, you know, what does that do for this, this person? But what does it more importantly do on a larger scale? My father's fan base are policemen and firemen and teachers and even spiritual leaders. 
I have gotten, and I still get letters to this day from people who say, I chose a career of service because of your father, and not because alone was your character, but because of the portrayal your father gave to that character and how your father behaved in real life, that he walked the walk. And I chose a career of service because of that. This you can't, That's a big fucking deal. You can quote me on that for sure. That is a big fucking deal. That's important stuff. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Industry. This episode was written, edited, and hosted by me, Dan Delgado. Special thanks to my guest, Michael Horse, whom I had a great conversation with. He was really funny. And of course, Dawn Moore, who was just a wealth of information. Dawn believes that this chapter in her father's life would make a good movie itself, and she's got some ideas for it, too. I think she's right. Hire Kurt Russell or maybe Kevin Costner to play Clayton Moore, and you're really on to something. Music in this episode was by Kevin McLeod, Jesse Gallagher, Aaron Kenny, Twin Musicom, and the whole other. Cover art for this episode and every episode this season was done by the amazing Kat Manderfield. Visit her at katmanderfield.com. Seriously, do it. Go visit. She's phenomenal. You'll find episodes that you might have missed at theindustrypodcast.com or at industrypodcast.org. They both go to the same place, so whichever one you want, it doesn't really matter. Send me an email at dan at theindustrypodcast.com, but try to be nice, okay? And if you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend or six. Also, feel free to leave a review for the show on Apple Podcasts. Again, try to be nice, okay? And we'll be back again soon with another story about some of the lesser-known things that went on in the industry. Good night.